Happy New Year to you, and welcome to the Speakeasy. If you've heard the show before, then you'll already have heard me say that this is the virtual audio space where readers and writers gather. And as always, I'm your host, Offer Kubin. I hope you've enjoyed as much as I have, then in every episode, I'm joined by a wonderful guest co-host. I've certainly loved the chance for us to sit together and spend some quality time with another terrific member of the writing community. Naturally, we chat about their novel, what new writing they've got in the works, and allow ourselves to explore wherever the conversation takes us. I believe that hearing from the authors themselves is a great way for us to introduce them to you, our listening audience. As always, you never know when you might just discover a new book, a new author, or find out something new and interesting about the writing and publishing industries that you may not have known. As is more often the case, my guest co-hosts are usually previous guests who've now returned to the studio to exact their little revenge upon me. Of course, it's always a pleasure to have them on my side of the microphone for a change and to introduce all of us to their selection of guest author and novel. Today is no exception to that. So why don't we get things started here by bringing on today's guest co-host. She's an American author living and writing in the state of Virginia. Daydreaming fantasy stories as a youngster, she started writing early on, eventually finding her way also to science fiction. She has a degree in psychology and a generous helping of life experience employer, but she remained a closet writer up until 2021, having completed the first draft of her novel in 2020. Her debut, published in the autumn of 2022, is a rich, epic, dark fantasy called Starlight Jewel, and is book one of her Gifts of the Old Tree series. Please help me welcome back to the show, E.L. Lyons. Well, hi, El. Um, great to see you back on the show again. Thank you for uh, for joining us today. How have you been? Uh, I've been good, and I'm very glad to be back. I love your podcast, and I love that you actually read the books, and that I get to talk to my author friends, you know, live. So, nice. not live for everybody else, but live. Yeah. live for us. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a plus. I've, I've certainly had uh, a lot of fun with everyone who's been on the show. So it's always nice when people say, yes, I'd love to come back on. So that's great. What's uh, What's been new and exciting for you? I know that you've you've been tweaking your prologue for a while. It was, I recall, for Starlight. Yeah, um, I, I deleted it. You um, took it right out? Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I never really wanted a prologue and it uh like half half the people loved the first one and half the people hated it and half the people loved the second one and half the people hated it and it was like for the exact opposite reasons you see it in like book reviews all the time whereas like the reason some people love and they hate the other book and that's what it was so there was no pleasing everybody so I figured I would just do what I really wanted in my heart and delete it okay and then does it feel like it's running better to just jump right into the storyline that way? Uh, yeah, I've always felt like it it did um, suit the story better to just jump in. Um, I don't like prologues. Personally, when I'm reading, I always skip them. 
100% of the time, like, unless there's rare exceptions, like uh, Yaval's book, I did actually like that prologue. And mm -hmm. I kind of realized I would like it just from, like, glancing the first page. But uh, typically, I just skip them because it seems like an excuse for exposition or, like, some out-of-place scene that, like, doesn't actually happen, like, in the beginning of the story. It's, like, yeah. from either the middle of the story or from, like, a thousand years ago. And I don't really care what happened a thousand years ago. I just want to start, like, the story. Right. Which is when, I guess, the notion of others, Josh's book, is one of those books that doesn't waste a sentence ever. And it starts, like, exactly, like, it's completely sequential the whole way through. Like, I don't know if you called the first chapter a prologue, but if you did, it was still first chapter. Like, there was nothing, you know, out of sequence and that I, I enjoy that. I can't I can't be a thousand years in the past. Yeah. And now you are um, you're working on number two. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm still on like chapter 45, I think, of the sequel. I have not made much progress in the past uh, month, mostly because I know now all the editing I have to do. And that's that that makes the writing a lot less fun. Yeah, like I realized yeah. all the issues that I was piling up behind me and mm -hmm. there feels like I'm holding a closet door shut. Right. Yeah. It's a little daunting knowing what you've got to work through after. Yeah. So I've got like maybe three or four chapters left to write but uh, so much editing to do. Mm. That, uh, yeah. Is it is it editing in terms of just making the story flow better? Or are you finding now, having come to the end, that there are pieces that you really need to move or remove? Um, kind of a bit of everything. There's definitely going to be a few chapters that need to be rewritten. Mm. And then uh, just little parts of the story that need to get woven in better. So like I need to go back and mention phoenixes more and like towards the beginning of the story and things like that. So it doesn't seem so abrupt when that plot point comes up. Mm -hmm. um, since I do a lot of plotting, sometimes I forget, you know, you have to write about the plot point before the plot point actually comes into the story. So it's just uh, a lot of little things. Yeah. A lot so are, are you keeping track in a particular way? Or are you just kind of making notes as you go? Um, I have like a giant marker board in my room mm -hmm. and uh, it has everything on it. And then I also have all the notes that I get from my writing mentor, which is a lot. Um, <laughs> and so I've got like five word documents from him wow. through various stages that I've sent him like drafts mm -hmm. and they all have just inline comments of inline comments um attacking me you know and... <laughs> personal <laughs> fronts <laughs> attacking my story you know kind of finding all the weak points which there are many and i knew there would be a lot you know with starlight jewel i wasn't planning on publishing so i was just writing and it was like just a fun ride, just writing. And then I like rewrote and then like edited and submitted it to this random review site. And this, this guy that I'm working with now with the writing mentor looked at it and edited, edited it with me. Said it again, um, <laughs> through the whole way. And it was, it was not very stressful because there was no time limits or right. like, 
And even though they're like self-imposed time limits, I thought I would be done in September. So I already feel like I'm behind. <laughs> yeah, that's tough when you, you when you have a self-imposed limit and you just you can't quite keep up to where you are. Yeah, life just happened and mm -hmm. it just ended up taking a lot longer than expected. So, uh, yeah, but it's going. It's yeah. uh, it's getting there. Yeah, it sounds like you uh, you are right near the end, at least of getting it written, which is a huge step. Yeah, yeah. can't edit it until you finish writing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so it's fun. So yeah, so it sounds like with uh, with all the editing ahead, that's kind of another headache, if I can put it that way, um, that that's something to look forward to and yet uh, at least get the job done, get the uh, second draft, the second, the sequel drafted. I can't speak today. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a satisfying thing to to edit when you see everything kind of cleaning up really nicely and looking polished. That that's a really good feeling. But it's just in the beginning when you're looking at like the gigantic pile of edits that you have and worried you're gonna forget something important which did happen in Starlight Jewel. I forgot a lot of important things that I meant to fix and that were on the list or one of the like 20 lists I made. I was also right. switching computers when I was editing oh, Starlight yeah. Jewel. And so like half the things were on one <laughs> laptop and half the things were on the other laptop and neither laptop was working correctly. Fun, so, fun, yeah. fun, fun, fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the more enjoyable things for me about this podcast is being introduced to new books to read, and of course, to the authors who created their unique worlds and filled them with interesting characters to send off on amazing adventures for us to follow. Not too long ago, I'd reached out to Elle to see if she'd be open to another gig as guest co-host, and if so, whether she had some thoughts on whom we'd next invite on the show. In a heartbeat, or maybe two, she managed to reach out and secure our next guest. Well, speaking of fun, um, your um, your guest choice was a lot of fun. Um, I remember seeing this cover uh, probably before you even brought up this book to me um, and being very attracted to it right from the get-go. And I thought, I've got to look more closely at this book. What uh, what jumped out for you? Um, we we're talking, of course, about our guest, um, Joshua Scott Edwards, and uh, his book, An Ocean of Others. Um, what what jumped out for you in the first place when you encountered this? Um, so I was reading the 300 first chapters of the SPF Bio books, and that was super fun. And I got to his book. Can I think... you just tell the folks who don't know oh. what SPF Bio is? Uh, the contest that both our books were in, um, I can't, I can't remember what the acronym stands for. I, I think, I think it's self-published blog off. So yeah, self-published self fantasy, fantasy blog, blog, off. blog off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, Mark Lawrence runs okay. and there's 300 entries and 10 blogs and each blog gets like 30 books mm -hmm. my math is not very good either no you um, nailed it <laughs> so I read all 300 first chapters some of the books I had already read before mm -hmm. and um uh, I got to an ocean of others and knew nothing about it uh I'm sure I saw it at some point on my twitter feed but you see so many books on a daily basis that it's impossible to sort through and I hadn't talked to Josh before but um 
it really does get right into the story and I like that a lot I like when I don't have to guess at what the story is going to be about um one of the big problems in a lot of the first chapters since I was only letting myself read that first chapter was that I just really had no clue where things were going or what it was about or what kind of magic was going to be in the book Mm -hmm. and so it kind of told you everything you needed to know in that first chapter like it it mentioned the arch magic and like had kind of like a glowy blue piece of paper and like a a trinket thing an amulet an amulet mm-hmm. and then it uh, kind of told us about the main character and the city Lewo or Lewoken i think the people were called Lewo which was kind of funny like a, <laughs> almost like a cute name for like uh for people but uh yeah, so it told told you kind of everything you needed to know about the type of story it was going to be, and it had a really gritty atmosphere, um, which I, I enjoy when I'm reading. I don't really like things that sound too clean and nice. I'd rather be in a, a dirty city. Right. I don't know why. Um, a, little so, more, a little more realistic, perhaps, right? A little more realistic grit. Uh, yeah, you know, and right. I, I don't actually like cities in real life. I, mm-hmm. I hate them. Um, I went to New York City once, and it was like, my definition of a nightmare like <laughs> it smells so bad and you know it, it is really realistic when he's describing the city he's talking about how bad it smells and um so that first chapter really caught my attention just because it went straight into the story straight into the conflict and there wasn't a word wasted it's definitely um probably the leanest book i've ever read you know every sentence is doing like three jobs it's, you know, providing atmosphere, saying something about the character and saying something about the world. Um, so much world building was packed into such a small book. You know, like we wrote very different sized books like SJ is chonky and oh. and, you know, there's there's a lot of we both world built a lot, but he world built in such a, a small space. Yeah. Yeah. And I... So every line ended up being kind of like really important. And talking about, you know, the religions of the world and the cultures of the world. And he managed to, you know, have the little group of friends was from so many different Mm -hmm. cultures. And that managed to come through in the book because he made such efficient use of the space, which I'm not very good at, obviously. Well, it's 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 a different story altogether. But, you know, I know uh, Josh has been uh, pacing in the green room. And uh, by the way, we we don't have a green room. Um, but yes, I wanted to definitely uh, bring in our guest today after that. I know that um, with your recommendation of An Ocean of Others, it was a quick decision to uh, connect with Josh and uh, thank him for um, having sent out the copy for me to read. Um, not quite as little a book as you perhaps make it out to be. It was It was a good bite-sized book for sure at 400 pages um but uh (laughs) anyway um we've been keeping him uh, waiting long enough well with that perhaps it's a good time now to actually introduce him to you an american author as well he lives in lansdale pennsylvania with his wife rachel he received a master's of science degree in electrical and computer engineering from rowan university in Glassboro, New Jersey. 
It was only afterwards, however, that he discovered his true passion is for storytelling. Sadly for him, the topic of storytelling was not covered in the engineering curriculum. So by day, Joshua writes software to pay the bills, but by night, he writes fantasy and science fiction stories, dreaming of a future in which those pay the bills as well. His debut novel is called An Ocean of Others and is book one in the Dance of the Sibling Sons series. So welcome, Josh. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, if finally, right? I mean, we've been talking all about you and you've been sitting back there listening. So now keep heaping on all the praise, please. <laughs> My bad. I ramble. No, that was that was very high praise though. Like every word, every sentence is doing three things. That's what an author dreams of oh. doing, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, I guess it probably isn't as small as I imagine it to be because I had the ebook and the audio book and I was mm. like reading both of those. So I never actually oh, yeah. like put my hands on the physical book, but yeah, I guess 400 pages isn't tiny, but it felt, it felt like it went by so fast because there weren't any lulls in the plot. It just like sped forward. Like, I think it was the fastest book I've read so far this year. So that's great to hear. <laughs> it felt short, even if it wasn't. So I actually just read your book in paperback and our books are exactly the same size in the paperback. Like really? yours is like 492 <laughs> and mine is 489. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know what your word count is. We might have like different. My book is way sizes. slower. 100% like, uh, yeah, it, the, the pace is, is much, much slower. There's a lot more dawdling and like, I don't know that I wasted space, but no, they're not, not doing stuff the whole time. Like in your book, they were definitely just going forward. They had a mission, like they literally had mm -hmm. a mission. So it was, you know, they were, they were just doing stuff, fighting monsters yeah. the whole time. Well, yeah. it was mine. They're like, standing around in bed sheets or like no. <laughs> like randomly eating breakfast let's uh let's let's pause on that and uh or put a pin in that and talk about um where all this started for you josh because uh, mm -hmm. i think in terms of the, your writing you had said you've been writing for quite a long time haven't you um maybe not as as long as uh would be beneficial for me <laughs> well so this was this is my first book i I mm -hmm. started writing it in 2018 okay. and published it in 2022, I think. Um, so it, it went through a lot of drafts, of course, like my, the first draft is unreadable. It's, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. Usually <laughs> um, the first one, first ones are right. Yeah. And I I'd started writing maybe a little bit before that. I, I decided um, just from playing D and D and, uh, just enjoying all the world building and everything that I really wanted to build a world and put a story in it. And it ended up not being this book. Um, I, I put a whole bunch of hours into like outlining and creating a map and a world for a story that uh, I just decided I'm not good enough to write yet. It was just oh, too wow. ambitious. Yeah. Um, so this, this was originally going to just be like a practice book <laughs> was the idea. Mm -hmm. um, so it started with um, just my friends and I playing D and D and I was just taking an absurd amount of notes, like I, hardly participating in the story because I'm just typing everything up the whole time, <laughs> which okay. made it really hard to adapt because, yeah. <laughs> you know, your main character should have agency and, and be a part of the story and affect it. Um, but 
it, it wasn't originally going to be like a published book. It was supposed to just be like a fun little draft for my friends to share. But then I was like, well, you know, I should practice the next part if I'm going to eventually do this. And so right. I started e editing and Elle, you were talking about how you hate editing and editing is like my favorite part of the process. <laughs> like getting yeah. it all, getting the first draft down is. I don't is hate it. I don't me. hate it. I hate okay. like the, the space before it, when I know mm. how much there is to do, but oh, yeah. I yeah, haven't you see the list. Actually, yeah. <laughs> the anticipation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my revision guide and seeing like 12,000 words of edits that I need to make. Um, and then I can just like start ticking them off one by one. And I'll, I'll just sit there for like six hours at a time, just going um, <laughs> much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, then I, I edited it and I was like, well, I should do the next step. And it was just like, I'll just keep practicing the next step. And before <laughs> I knew it, the book was published. <laughs> What um, so you you self published and mm -hmm. when you pulled the, all the material together to kind of go into that step, I don't think we've we've talked to anybody yet about the actual publishing ins and outs when when we're doing self published work. Mm -hmm. Where did you um, like? Did you connect with anyone on social media as far as guidance to to do the steps? Did you follow up some research? What what did you do? Um. I think the idea to self-publish mainly came from just talking to my writing group. Um, and a couple of them were querying for traditional publishing and right. a couple others were like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was very much in that category of like, I don't know what I'm going to do either. Um, so one of my writing group friends suggested I take a class with um, uh, her name, Stacy Kukarik, who ended up editing my book actually. And it was an online class. It was literally just called self-publishing 101. And we went over all the pros and cons of self-publishing and traditional publishing. And by the end of that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm hundred percent self-publishing. Like I want to be, I'm a control freak. So right. I wanted to be in control of like the cover and everybody and putting the, the whole team together. Um, so yeah, at that point I, I pretty much firmed up the idea of self-publishing. Nice. Yeah, I feel like that's high praise for that editor because it was yeah. edited really, really well. It oh, was. she's, she's incredible. Like, she went above and beyond in the self-publishing class. So I, I was like, all right, I, I know I want you to public or to edit the book. And she was like, no, 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 you got to do it right. Talk to a bunch of other editors, get sample edits. And I got sample edits from everybody, including her. And hers was just the best by far. And I was like, all right, well, I know she's going to go above and beyond again. And she yeah. totally did. I, I paid her for a line edit and, um, it ended up almost being like a developmental edit, which is typically much, much more expensive. Um, she's yeah, she's amazing, and she's editing the uh, the second book right now. Oh, that's so exciting! I'm excited to get right. her feedback. <laughs> so the second book is drafted and and obviously in her hands, hey? Yep. So I finished drafting it right at the end of October, um, and then spent about a month rereading it and doing the revision guide, and then I put together a second draft in a month, uh, which. Wow. was the fastest I've ever done that. But I, I was like, all right, I, I have a deadline. I'm, I told my editor I'd turn it in uh, in November. Hold on. I feel like I've mixed up the timeline. I think it was September I finished. And then <clears> October <throat> was the month. And then, uh, yeah, well, it, it was in her hands November 2nd. Nice. Um, and yeah, that, that, was, that was a, gr a grueling process. <laughs> it sounds like it must have been because I the timeline on its own, it sounds like it would have been frantic. Oh yeah. It, it was very stressful. Um, and, and like 
L, you said you had a, a self-imposed deadline. Mine was supposed to, I was supposed to finish in June. So when I finished in yeah. September, I was like, I'm three months behind and <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is not good. Like I have a audiobook publisher waiting for the next copy of the book. There's too much going on. Yeah. Yeah. That lot. sounds like, I think control freaks that we both went into self-publishing for the same reason <laughs> with self-imposed deadlines. Yep. Sometimes being a little bit too organized and, uh, you know, doing that is a good thing. And sometimes like it just puts this unneeded stress on yeah. the whole process because I, w I also missed my first deadline. Uh, you must be like me and just setting like unrealistic, way too hard deadlines. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I think a part of the problem is that you make a lot of momentum at first and then you get to the end of the process and it slows down a bit and then like you're off schedule just because the end of the process is slower than the beginning when you have like that all the easy edits you know are in the beginning mm -hmm. yeah yeah my my problem was that i after maybe five months of drafting i just had like a huge period of like burnout and depression and mm -hmm. i was like i think i went maybe two months without even like looking at the draft and of course <laughs> the longer you go on the like harder it is to get back into it um and like, I went on my honeymoon in that time and I'm like fretting over like coming back and <laughs> like getting started again. Oh, it was a, it was a stressful year. <laughs> yeah. I do find that taking a break sometimes does help. Like right now I'm playing mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate three and it's not what I should be doing, but I feel like <laughs> when I get back to writing, it'll, it'll be easier and less stressful, you know, having just a little bit of time away from my characters and I'll be less tempted to have a meteorite fall and kill everyone which has been my thought for like six months now i've just wanted to kill all my characters i feel like you have foreshadowing for that in the book <laughs> it's like subconsciously coming through the whole time yeah yeah just the temptation is there the meteorites are there and, you know, who knows too easy to use too easy still to a use. whole nother book yep. to go yeah it'll be a shorter book because everyone's dead yeah. yeah right so not much going on except atmospheric conditions <laughs> a little novella it can be like a ghost you know there's sort of a ghost in book two so she would be like the only character after the meteorite just have her wandering the you know desolate black wasteland calling out marco marco <laughs> <laughs> yeah are you ever but tempted to kill all your characters josh uh, no, not yet. We'll see after the third book. I, I know that one's going to be a tough one to write. Yeah. Is the second book in Leewoken or that area or is it off somewhere else? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So the, the first book you said, like you like being in the city in the, in the story, but actually most of the book takes place like outside of, in like the outskirts of the city. It so does, I was like, yeah. I, I would write I spent, I put a lot of effort into like making Leowakin feel like a character and like lived in and making sure Grimm, the main character has like a strong relationship with it. Um, but then he spends all of his time away from the city. Um, yeah. So well, the even book... the other places are, are grungy though. Like the mm -hmm. hunter's cabin was like a suit, like, I mean, that was very gritty and like the fishing village, all the other places they went had that same sort of vibe. But yeah. Next book. Continue. Yeah. So the next book will have Grimm, spending a lot more time in Leewokin. Um, I don't know how, many, how much spoiler talk we want to get into for this, but I'll avoid it for now at least. <laughs> um, but if you read, if you've read the first one, you'll know why he might need to spend some more time in Leewokin. Um, and 
apart from that, there's two other POV characters in the book and they're not in Leewakin at all. So we get to spend some more time in different countries. Um, Are they POV characters that were characters in an ocean of others? uh, They, well, (laughs) it's, it's always so hard talking POV (laughs) for this book. Um, But they're, they're characters that you've met and like spent a lot of time with. Okay. They're they're part of hand 64. Cool. All right. Yeah, that that answers like limits the uh, the possibilities of where we could be going. Yeah, <laughs> I've got hopes. I've got hopes for who it is. But okay. I mean, I could tell you if you want. <laughs> yes. Yes. Do tell me. Is it the yeah. Scar Dwarf? Because that's for my hope. I want to go with the Scar Dwarf. Sadly, no. No, not the Scar Dwarf. Maybe book three. <laughs> that is the plan, actually. Book three. <laughs> Spend a little more time with Centix. <laughs> But, uh, so are you going to tell me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be Garrett as one of the POVs. Um, so he and Centix will be heading to the Peaker Mounds. And then uh, Lorelei will be going to uh, Voss or Pasik. Voss is the city, the capital of the Bright Empire. So she's going to go and do some stuff back home. Do some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> To be yeah. determined. I feel yeah. like she's a good character for causing trouble in like uh, the capital, just because her <laughs> like her kind of sparky anti-religious nature, you know, like with mm-hmm. the the song she. Yeah, I won't spoil anything, but yeah, yes, I like she's it. she's going like to get into a lot of trouble in book two. <laughs> it's it's a it's an interesting uh, and well conceived group of characters working together because there's. There's enough variation in each of them, where they come from, what they do, what they like, how they interact, that I, I think what I really enjoyed is how um, the how Hand 64 came to be and how they started to work together as a team. Uh, and I hope that's not a that's not a spoiler for anyone who hasn't read An Ocean of Others yet. But uh, I, I really enjoyed that because each of the voices was quite distinct and stood out as a as a particular well-rounded character and I, I really loved that how they all had some semblance of realism to to each of their um, positions I'm rambling now but yeah I think it was one of those things where it felt like what came first like the world or the characters and like it was such a unique group of characters and it did feel very much like a D&D game um, with with what characters were chosen, you know, the ranger and the dwarf and mm-hmm. the bard, you know, it was very, you know, the, it was the typical D and D setup, but with unique characters who actually had personality and, you know, it just kind of, and the backstories were given really briefly, but really efficiently, like everything else. Like, so you did really feel like you kind of knew these people and, they each did have very unique voices, especially Syntex with his like, you know, one line. <laughs> his grunts, yeah. Yeah, he grunts a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Syntex is my favorite character to write though because I try and make it so that everything he says, it sounds like a non sequitur, but it's actually like really insightful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah. I don't know how much that actually comes across. Might just be to me. <laughs> it, it does come across. It's hard to write a character who doesn't have like a lot of, dialogue i don't know if you've read um the powder mage series no I uh, haven't. 
I don't know how to say her name. It's like Kapol or something. There's a mute character. And like he manages to give her so much personality. And like, I think he did that with syntax. Like it, it it's really hard because I've tried. I've tried writing mute characters before. <laughs> and that's something I'm going to have to put on for more skills later. But um, having so little dialogue and, you know, just like communicating with like grunts and like random, like the same one line. I guess Groot is an example that everybody yeah. has. Yeah, yeah, that was like, that was uh, was on my mind too. <laughs> yeah, so Groot is a, a really good comparison to Centix. Um, luckily, Centix has more words than Groot, so yes. I can <laughs> convey a little bit of extra info about like his background and what his uh, sort of philosophy on life is, as much as a a man made of stone can have a philosophy on life. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. Centix is like one of my just favorite characters. Just I feel like he's simultaneously like mysterious, but and like confusing. And I I I still have a lot of cards to play with Centix. Nice. But also he's like sort of my comic relief character too. At the same time, like and him it's... and Garrett, it's just like all uh, just all these hijinks all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of neat how you managed to um, use them in that way and still have them as vital roles within the group and within the storyline because they're not just thrown in there for comic relief and then forgotten mm-hmm. about they're they're quite essential which is neat how you did that yeah and you don't forget about your characters you know sometimes there'll be like a character who gets introduced and you won't see them for like another like five chapters but like with such a big core group, you managed to involve like the whole. And again, I think that's because of the the D and D startings of it. The whole group gets involved in every single chapter. Like you get a little bit of everybody each time, instead of just it focusing on like one or two characters per chapter. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of adds to that sense of their friendship and their group cohesion, which is just really fun. Like. As somebody who's never really been part of like a big friend group, it's fun to immerse myself in a friend group. So it's, uh, yeah, I did enjoy that part. I think that's the uh, the magic of editing because there's <laughs> I definitely wrote some chapters where I just forgot about characters. <laughs> like there was one chapter where there's like a battle scene and at the end I, I was rereading and I was like, I don't think I wrote about Dunax in this chapter. <laughs> What's he doing? And so I had to go back and rewrite it and introduce him. And yeah, that that was definitely a a key thing is um, just making sure that all five characters in the group at the time are like active and doing something. Um, I lose characters all the time. Oh, same. The thing I actually lose the most is like things that characters have like items. (laughs) Oh Oh, my goodness. It's impossible. You have to treat them like characters too. And I'm like, I'm doing a, um, a book club right now where my friends in real life who played the D game are reading the book with me and we're doing like a chapter a week and they all got very attached to um at one point centicus is wearing a hat it's like a guard <laughs> captain's hat and then in the next chapter the hat is gone and they're oh. like what happened to the hat and i was like <laughs> i just forgot about it <laughs> but um i was like i'll, I'll write a short story about centix uh detailing the <laughs> specifics of the hat for you guys <laughs> Uh, it is hard to keep track of stuff too. Like there's mm-hmm. the the multiple rings in Starlight Jewel. Like Axley mm-hmm. ends up having like I think seven rings throughout the first book. Like <laughs> and like trying to figure out where they were and like and like 
at the end of the book and I'm like, does she have any rings? Did she lose them? <laughs> Did she leave them somewhere? And then you have to go back and like read like 20 chapters to figure out where you put that thing. Yeah. And, and you can't uh, just control F ring. And then it's like <laughs> part of every word, like bring and <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's interesting though listening to you guys talk about that that element because I don't think as readers certainly not in general I think and I generalize because I can't speak for all readers I don't think people realize the stuff that needs to be juggled like the the <laughs> number of plates in the air that writers have in order to deal with just those kind of things the elements of what a character wears or puts down or picks up the sort of the bits of theater business, as they call it. You know, if you're twirling a cigar in your hand, then where does it go after the scene continues? That type of stuff. It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. That's why my characters just wear the same clothes the entire story. <laughs> <laughs> but also the period of your story is, is not long. Like, it's not over weeks and months, mm -hmm. generally, right? It's fairly tightly contained within a timeline. So it makes it easier, I think in that yeah. regard yeah i just made made sure to mention like two-thirds of the way through the story that grim's like i need a bath my clothes stink <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's all good <laughs> yeah that uh, condensed time frame i think also helps with the pacing and like i would love to do that for my next book like i have goals that like sprouted from reading your book because it <laughs> it read so fast and I was like I would really just love to not worry about like how many months or years it's been and like I always forget what season it is and like, like a book in a week like that that sounds perfect <laughs> a week yeah. is a, a good amount of time and I'm I'm now like now that you guys have told me it's like actually a long book I'm kind of shocked because it just it felt so fast it, it felt <laughs> I, like I think the audiobook pages definitely helps with that like first of all my narrator danny gavigan i i just i'm super happy with how that turned out he's incredible um yeah i think he nailed most of the voices because i did yeah. start reading it on ebook and i was planning on reading it through on ebook and then i i kind of switched and i switched back and forth like as i was reading it's it's really nice that the audible and Kendall like work together like that but yeah, yeah his voices were like so funny like, yeah like, he definitely was doing better than the voices I had going in my head when I started the book oh me too like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I his voices are now how I hear the characters and like the, the, the way cool. he he um narrated some characters like influenced the dialogue of the second book oh how so neat. I was just like okay this is canon now like this is what they all sound like um but yeah, he's he's incredible. And like every even like I have a ton of way too many like side characters in the book. <laughs> they're, they're like named characters and they show up in one scene and then they never come back again. <laughs> and um, he like he gives different voices to every single one of them. And I'm, I'm like, how did you do this? <laughs> yeah, he does have like a really diverse range of voices. Like I yeah. I remember the first time he uh, Lorelai. I don't, is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first time he did her voice, I was like, is that like a different narrator? Like, right? I thought usually, it was an actual woman. <laughs> yeah. Trying, like when men usually narrate women voices, it usually sounds so ridiculous if they like try, <laughs> try to do an actual voice. But he actually did like a really good job mm -hmm. uh, narrating her voice, which was shocking because usually, I mean, I literally just finished like another audiobook where 
I almost quit so many times because <laughs> she kept doing a child's voice. Oh, and no. <laughs> it was the most painful thing I've ever heard in my life. It was it was just so bad and it was so hard to get through and I couldn't take the book seriously. And it it really does help to have a good narrator. And he is really good and he does an amazing job with those voices. I don't think it would work for Starlight Jewel. I've listened to a lot of narrators, you know, and you try to imagine it with your book. And mm -hmm. even though he's amazing, I think it's more suited to a book like An Ocean of Others, where like you do have like kind of a diverse cast of characters right. versus mm -hmm. Starlight Jewel, which I don't know. I don't I don't like any narrators for Axley. And maybe it's just because I'm too like attached to my own mental voice of what she would sound like in my right. head. Yeah. But uh yeah, I, I I imagine that just being just being good at the voices to begin with is quite something, but having the not the consistency of keeping up the character through different scenes and being able to recreate that same voice each time without losing right losing the character. Yeah, yeah remembering which remarkable. voice you used for which side character. Exactly. Like <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it comes from his um his background is as a theater actor. So I mean he's his he's a professional character player. So wonderful. That helps yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's a transferable skill as it turns out. <laughs> so when you um when you began kind of pulling the story idea together, um, like taking it from the original sense of the the D D game and the the world that you started to build, did you find that there was a like an immediate arc of storyline that you saw happening or was it something that you kind of cobbled together as you went along um that sort of goes hand in hand with this are you a, a plotting writer or are you a pantsing writer and uh <laughs> or a combination of the two yeah so i'm a hundred percent a plotter and like it's it's obviously it's a spectrum and you're somewhere to one extreme or the other right um somewhere in between uh, I'm pretty far on the side of like a full-blown plotter, like pantsing just doesn't work for me. And yet this is a book that I pantsed. So, cause like, as I was writing it, I, I had already started drafting it before we finished the D and D campaign. So I didn't know where it was going. Um, and I was including scenes that were completely frivolous and just silliness and, you know, like any D and D campaign can just so, so easily go off the rails. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> so it was very much a case of after I finished the first draft, I read through it like backwards actually and um started at the very last chapter was like all right here's all my plot points that like this story resolves in and then just kind of like threaded that back and i had this really long like reverse outline for how to uh like to basically see like where a plot point began and then i would have to like thread it back further and rewrite the earlier chapters and stuff um so it, it was a long process doing that second draft because it really was just a huge mess the first the first wow. draft it's never too late to outline you know exactly like if you outline <laughs> after the fact it can still really help like i've i've pantsed a few things before and uh it's just a mess and when you outline you can actually see what you need to cut mm -hmm. and like it's always some fun parts yeah fun parts get cut i feel like one day i want to publish my uh, reverse outline just to <laughs> show you how how bad it was it was a huge mess it was uh that was that was difficult i don't ever uh, want to publish the first draft of starlight jewel or show it to anyone i'm 
I'm pretty sure it's been deleted and uh, <laughs> stay in the depths forever. Not, not that's, floating that's be in like the a, ether. Yeah, it's got to be like a Patreon, like deep cut. Right. Like, right, if you've given me like $100, you could see this because I know you're sympathetic to me and you won't yeah. judge me too harshly. I definitely charge more than $100. I, I feel like <laughs> people would lose all respect for the book. Did you also um, did you also do anything in terms of diagramming your process or were you comfortable just doing it as a written in a written format? Um, what do you mean diagramming the process? Well, as you were saying about uh, like going backwards through it and finding mm -hmm. the thread points to where things began and, and if they led correctly to where you wanted to go, I was almost envisioning kind of a large chart with a diagram of lines mm. of saying, this is where we are at the end. This is where we are at the beginning. Who does what, where am I correct? Or am I cut off? Am I starting somewhere out of thin air? Those types okay. of things. I'm, I was just visualizing it that way. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to visualize it, but I just did it all as text. It was all in Scrivener, just using the, uh, the outlining tool in there. Mm. And I, I created all kinds of like, uh, like you can make custom metadata for each point in Scrivener. So I was like, oh, this is like part of this plot line. And so at the end, I was just kind of like have a giant list of things. <laughs> Somehow I kept it all in, in track um, in my brain. <laughs> amazing. That's great. I can't figure out how to use Scrivener. Like I, I, I bought it and I, I'm too stupid for that kind of program. I had to watch like a 10 minute YouTube video just to figure out how to like make a document. And at that point, I was like, this is this is not for me. I'm yeah, Atticus. It does have a steep learning curve. Yeah, Atticus is easier for computer dumb people <laughs> who need things to be really intuitive. But uh, I actually do have like uh, diagrams. I have like two big cardboard things that came out of a package and I have earrings stuck into them oh, <laughs> with nice. my plot points and then like chains uh, i used to make jewelry so i got chains going from the different earrings i have to like uh kind of improvise on like how to get enough stuff in there because i don't wear any earrings and uh but people get them for me so i've got a lot but, oh, that's so cool i feel like but, that really emphasizes just how your your process as a writer is so unique <laughs> to yourself and like if it works for you it works right yeah, everybody's a little different and, you know, it's uh, it's hard to figure out how to organize things so it makes sure. sense for your brain. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do need something a little bit more visual than just the words, especially that, yeah. when I'm first starting out. And it's just so hard to keep track of everything. It, it reminds me of uh, those scenes in some of the movies you see where someone leads leads a character into a room and there's a big board with... All sorts of stuff stuck on it and yeah, and a cork board and the string attaching to everything to connect the, which never looks like it makes any sense, but it makes sense to the person doing yeah. it, right? Uh, I'll send you guys pictures of, of my ridiculous board. It's got a fruit, fruit earrings. Looks really cute for that's all the death funny. and murder that's on the board. That's awesome. <laughs> fruit earrings and chains. Yeah, I definitely want to see this. <laughs> But uh, you also had good food in the book. Um, like, I don't I don't know if you've seen me talking about crustaceans on Twitter, but your crab legs eating scene was, was very touching to me. <laughs> I love crab. And, uh, you know, it just uh, it felt it was a good character moment for Grimm, for starters, because it showed how bad he was with money. 
Yeah. Like, you know, you're talking about like a bounty hunter and how like money slips through his fingers before that. And then like, as soon as he gets money, he just orders like an extravagant meal and yeah. like spends like a quarter of what he just got. But, uh, that he blames Austin. it on society. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, doesn't, does never pay the guy who helped him and you know just generally just shows what sort of a character he is and it's it's kind of endearing and like the sort of way that like you know if you knew that person in real life they would frustrate the heck out of you like <laughs> so it, it was a good character moment and there was good food I forget there's something else he was eating I think I think he ate bread before that but mm-hmm. later on they were they were eating when they were out in the wilderness but uh, the crab legs scene definitely sticks out in my mind and it's something unusual you know in fantasy you don't usually have seafood yeah that was actually straight from my uh from the D &D campaign is for some reason (laughs) my uh my dungeon master would always just reference like crabs and stuff so i was like you know what (laughs) crabs it is i'm glad i did justice for crabs because i i personally don't like crabs you don't oh Man, it sounded like you liked crabs from that scene because I thought maybe it's just that I liked crabs. <laughs> made me hungry. Magic of writing. <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. it, it resonates through those small actions, those day-to-day actions that I think sometimes we forget. We, you know, we haven't seen someone go to the bathroom in three <laughs> months. So like, you know, it's those little details that just add tremendous realism to what's going on so we stop and eat that's mm-hmm. important uh, i think i saw and... a review you got recently Al, where someone's like finally someone's brushing their teeth in a fantasy <laughs> story <laughs> uh, yeah it's you never think that people will even notice something like that because it's so small and so it's kind of fun that like my you know days of research on medieval toothbrushing and toothpaste <laughs> paid off paid off for like one one reader was excited about that <laughs> so yeah but uh and your magic system is also really fun um i guess I, like I'm, I'm so tired of elves and dragons. <laughs> like i hate to complain about the book i just read again but uh, i didn't expect it to have elves based on like the subgenre it was and i went into it and there were it, it was all elves and I was just so shocked and and it was really fun I really actually liked the book aside from the narrator but um but like it was nice to have a human main character and even though it was like very based on D&D it still felt like you had like kind of a unique magic system in addition to that that had its own like special quirks and there was a lot of like foreshadowing and hinting about like what sort of magic system there would be it wasn't you know all explained in the beginning but the the haze i think was like the first kind of like clue outside of the arch magic that there was something else going on and you know you just got little hints as as the story went along that things were just a little bit different from like normal magic mm-hmm. and the way it tied into like the sort of religion and like the the sons like the bright daughter and dark father and things like that it all just sort of wove together to create like a a magical fantasy environment that was just a little bit like different and not just like sometimes I read fantasy and I feel like it's literally just elves and it drives me nuts because the elves could be people and it's literally just people with pointy ears and 
that's like one of the most annoying things about a lot of fantasy for me is that it doesn't actually feel like fantasy and so I guess an ocean of others even though it's not as like fantastical as a lot of fantasy like the magic system and like the world and everything really felt like alternate world fantasy that was actually alternate world fantasy and not just people with pointy ears (laughs) (laughs) yeah I didn't want to just pull the uh like the D magic system i think it's called the vancian magic system maybe um and like for me that that even in like our D campaign there were just moments where like we were building up and fighting like a big monster and it's like life or death stakes and then all of a sudden it's like our character just like oh i cast heal and i'm fully back to normal and it's, it's all good to go i was like no we're not having any moments like that in the in the book so <laughs> i basically just pulled out the entire magic system and put in my own <laughs> just arch magic which is um arch fire and I, I guess it's sort of spoilers to say arch dark as well but I, it's not it's that not really big a deal. Really. Yeah. like, like uh, when it's introduced i think the experience of of that is like different from just hearing about it yeah. but yeah the arch magic was was fun and it was like it was simple enough that it was easily understood but different enough that it was still fun and didn't feel like you were didn't feel like it was just D, even though mm-hmm. it was similar yeah and i, I like the way that you had the characters <laughs> who were able to employ arch magic um not not seem like they were just pulling out the you know the deus ex machina out of a hat it was something that they had to work with and uh, weren't just pulling something out of thin air so that was that was neat to see because there was some effort uh, mm-hmm. engaged in it. So um, that worked really neat. I was going to say too that one of the things that stood out to me was the sense of the political structure, mm. uh, which I really liked. I really liked that in your book too, L. The the whole intricacy of the politics and what was going on behind the scenes and who was who. Um, so I liked how you wove that into the storyline. I would have liked. Um, probably a little bit more background, maybe. I don't know if it's background that I'm looking for, Josh, but in terms of the, oh, sorry, now I've blanked out on the uh, main character in the city who was in charge of everything. No, Alkin. Yes, yeah. So how, pardon me, how his role came to be and where, uh, where his, where all that structure kind of came from. Yeah. So that that sounded really interesting to me. Well, I'm glad you're interested in that because book two has got a lot of that in store. So. <laughs> oh, good. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot more of the uh, just the sort of how the agency came to be and like mm-hmm. why it is so <laughs> dysfunctional in many ways. Um, As are so many agencies of oh, the yeah. sort, right? Yes, that was uh, real life inspired <laughs> as as someone working in a bureaucracy. I'm like, oh, you know, let's make this one extra dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like from the outside, like before Grimm joins it, he thinks it's like this very advanced and like well-oiled machine. And then he gets inside and you start seeing like where all the cracks are. And um, I, some readers didn't like that. They were like, oh, this, why do, this agency doesn't really function like as well as it seems like it should. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> like, <Go>. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it um, was really fun how you introduced it. Like y- you got introduced to the fingers first and then you realize it's like all named after body parts. And then you see mm-hmm. that each body part has like, they're only doing this specific thing and nothing else. And like he gets lost, like the, or the whole hand gets lost in the beginning, trying to find like the office. And it just kind of highlights how inefficient the system is, but also how intentional that is to like keep everyone from finding out that there's like really suspicious, weird stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's definitely, it's clear it's an intentional choice on your part to have this sort of like micromanaged bureaucracy where everything functions completely separately and without any knowledge of how the larger system is supposed to work, which does feel very reminiscent of real life structures. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, you know, like how that was structured and how you came up with that. Even if it is really inefficient, it was, it was fun to read about. Good. Hopefully like it's, it's hard to uh, write about like a really dysfunctional thing because at the same time, I don't want it to be so dysfunctional that it's not like a threat or it wouldn't function properly mm-hmm. <laughs> within the story. So yeah, that's it's a it's a fine line to walk there. One of like one of Grimm's uh, earlier traits was that he was basically incompetent, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> this is a uh, this Glad is not something that. I can really really write a story about. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's one thing that annoys me about characters is when like their character flaws that like they're just dumb or they can't do things right. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't I don't need that in, in my main character, especially like that just gets frustrating after a while. You know, you're you're just like, really, do you have to do you have to make those kind of decisions like right now? Do you yeah. have no no intelligence at all? So I was, I'm glad you changed that because that would have been, that would have made me like the book a lot less. <laughs> yeah, it would have been very disappointing. I think we, we see enough ignorance and stupidity out in the real world. That we, <laughs> yeah. we don't want to read about it. I think people like take character flaws too, too far sometimes, mm. you know, like just like with these really angry characters and these like, or really bratty characters. I know one of the first chapters I read in, in SPFBO like I had to quit like on like page two because like this and it was clearly a character flaw, but like she was so bratty and like she was like literally throwing a tantrum on and it's the main character. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to go through a book with her, <laughs> you know, so it's uh, I, I'd rather just have characters that are like normal people mm-hmm. and without these over exaggerated character flaws. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to just make your characters likable at least like you can have flaws and everything but if your character is just unlikable from the get-go it's going to be really hard to convince a reader to keep going like i was watching a a ted talk recently where um it was a pixar writer and he shared like an early draft of um uh of toy story and he was like yeah one of the main character flaws for woody is that he's really selfish like he wants to be like the top toy and andy's favorite and so he showed an early draft and Woody's just like berating the other toys. <laughs> it's, it's like, wow, this is an awful character. And so they like quickly realized, oh, we need to make him likable and like draw back or uh, scale back his character flaw a little bit. Like he can still want to be the top toy, but like he has to be still caring for the other toys in some right. ways. Yeah. It, it is a fine line to walk when you're trying to make like a character who's not very nice, like actually yeah. like 
I know a lot of readers like message me that they they want her to die in like the first half of the book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was not a big shock to me because she is kind of terrible. And I think that's why I tried to put like other characters in POV points to kind of buffer how bad she is. Mm-hmm. But uh, beta readers did have to tell me to like tone it down some. She killed horses in the first draft and that oh, was my. apparently like, oh, yeah. too much. It's like killing like a, a dog. Yep. It's <laughs> yeah. like kick the puppy trope. Right. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as a character kicks a puppy, oh, they're the bad guy. Yeah, there's there's a limit to like how much of a bad character like people can tolerate and, uh, yeah. and trying to find that limit. And there's still people who don't like her. So it's I think it's definitely different for different readers and but, but I like I, that Graham was just normal. <laughs> I, I think part of the likability factor is, is also about how engaging <clears throat> how engaging a character is. Because if the character's a villain, there's part of us that maybe air quote likes them, but it's more that they engage us to a point where we want to see what happens to them and what they do. <clears throat> Although we hope karma is close, you know, mm-hmm. it, I think there's that as a reader, as opposed to just reading about someone who's generally vile, or someone who's so likable that we don't see the conflict. Yeah, it was fun and a notion of others to have, like, almost like having two villains, because you don't know mm-hmm. exactly who the villain is. There's smart smart people on the other side, whoever, whoever they may be, whoever the big villain ends up being at the end of an ocean of others. It was nice to have like, not just somebody who is evil for evil's sake and, you know, trying to destroy everything. Yeah. You know, he was actually made to be intelligent and have good motivations and, you know, the, the bad characters were, were kind of relatable, which is always helpful to me. I don't know. I don't really like uh, villains who are just mean to be mean, even though there are yeah. people like that in reality. It's not unrealistic. There are people who are just jerks, but mm-hmm. it's just not very fun to read. It's more fun to read about a really smart villain who's also somewhat sympathetic versus in reality, you just have people like, the people you see on Twitter every day who just randomly come onto your posts and like <laughs> tell you they hate you and you know they're they're not very smart and they're not very nice and uh you know that's it just doesn't make for good storytelling though like what's realistic yeah. you know whenever people mention realistic things for books I'm like I don't I would rather it not be realistic <laughs> yeah well social media will make a caricature out of anybody but <laughs> that's for sure the um yeah, when creating like any villain, I always just start from the premise that like they don't think they're a villain. They don't wake up to be like, I'm going to do evil today. <laughs> like most people aren't like that. <laughs> like um, I think I've very much been influenced by like George R. R. Martin's writing um, where you just have very sympathetic uh, antagonists. And um, he, he quotes Alexander Solzhenitsyn um, in the Gulag Archipelago when he says that the the line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every man. And that really is just true in my experience. Like mm-hmm. no one is perfectly good and no one's perfectly evil. And I, I think I try to write characters that reflect that. Um, yeah. And, and, and just trying to make sure that at least the villain 
his motivation is understood at least like you may not agree with it, but at least being able to understand it and see where he's coming from is really important to me. Yeah, it definitely comes through and makes it a better story. And uh, I'm not a huge George R. R. Martin fan. I did read the books. I like them. And I like what he did with the villains, especially like making you like Jamie. That was terrible and really good writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nothing could be worse. I didn't like the author while I was reading it, but I did like Jamie. And so he he succeeded and he does he makes it really hard not to like sympathize with the the bad characters. Yeah. It's like somehow he overcame the kick the puppy syndrome. Like the guy <laughs> pushes a kid out of a window in the yeah. first book. And by book three, you're like man, I feel really bad for this guy. He's like my favorite character now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I I don't know how he did that still. Like it, it did oh, take a while. He's a genius, but, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, plot wise, the book seemed to go nowhere and there were so many frustrating things. Uh, <laughs> like I wanted there to be dire wolves all the time. And like, then like all of them died. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler for anybody who hasn't read or watched, you know, George R. R. Martin. There's, there's not a lot of direwolves. There really wasn't a lot of fantasy overall. It's like mm -hmm. random, like witchcraft mm -hmm. and, you know, then like political fantasy, I guess. Like it had like the politics of alternate world fantasy. And then there's like dragons over like on that other continent for like every 10th chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so like it wasn't his... quite enough fantasy to be exciting for me. Yeah, his his magic is it's like very low magic and it's all very like thematically oriented. So like the dragons, they're not just there to like be cool and breathe fire and stuff. They're there because it's, he's like making a statement about like weapons of mass destruction and what it is to wield this like ultimate power. And like that's what his the whole book is about is like power and what people do with it. And I've, I've tried to introduce magic in the same way in my series. Like it's it's a lot about like balance and change and um like the whole setting is tries it like flowers out of the themes i i hope anyway i hope that's clear um but yeah I, I i think that's a way more interesting way to create a magic system than just being like oh i just want to tack on some cool stuff here for action scenes right. well i enjoyed your magic system because it mm -hmm. did feel like it was woven into the entire story versus just like randomly popping up even if he did it thematically it, was, it still felt random because it was once every 10 chapters that you got any kind of magic yeah <laughs> yeah i try to uh, since it is D D, I wanted to be faithful to like the, the campaign that we had and and the story that me and my friends all told together and so it is definitely more of like high magic than george r, r. martin's writing <laughs> so in in pulling the book together i guess one of the things i wondered was did you have an end goal in mind as you were plotting already did you have a direction you you wanted to reach with the story and then uh, I know you'd said you kind of worked yourself backward after the fact but in pulling the story together um how much how much of an opening did you leave yourself for change of direction if that makes um, sense not that much change uh, or not that much of an opening, I should okay. say. So mm -hmm. when I, I, 
I sort of ran into the uh, the problem that the Game of Thrones TV show ran into, where they they sort of ran out of material at mm-hmm. some point. Um, I I did the same thing. I I ran. I was writing all the chapters first draft, and you know, like D and D, it's always hard to schedule and get everybody's time. And so I I'd finished like the latest session and drafted that, and then I was like, what's going to happen next? And I started sort of just trying to figure out what I wanted my character to do at this point. And so the writing sort of influenced my decisions in the next game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I guess there was a little bit of an open-endedness to it like that. Um, but I, I guess from the fact of writing through everything, and at this point we're very close to the end of the book. And I knew that we're towards the end of what my D and D friend was calling the first arc it ended up being the only arc because we canceled the campaigns after that. <laughs> um, and uh, like, I, I knew that I was going to try and write this and make it a, like a full story and a full book. And so I was like, I need my character to have some sort of resolution here. <laughs> so right. for some reason, the, the quote that was running through my head was bad decisions make good stories. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make Grim do something really stupid here in this, in this uh, session. And that, that ended up being the end of the book. <laughs> so it, it worked out kind of nicely. It sort of like influenced, like it was like a feedback loop in some way. Mm, neat. Uh, sometimes you have to develop like one part of the story to like progress with developing like your characters. Like you need a little bit of a plot point for them yeah. to like work towards. So it does end up having different parts of the story feed each other. But yeah, I agree. Bad decisions do make for good stories, Mike. Oh yes, actually makes many of those. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think I joked that like she was digging her own grave and like like other people like they were all just kind of digging holes for themselves and each other, you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to bury each other alive. But uh, yeah, so. <laughs> bad decisions definitely. Like I like it when they're not stupid decisions. It's hard to there's like a fine line between a a really stupid decision and just like a bad, bad decision mm-hmm. versus like a villain, villain type bad decision. And you have to kind of figure out where you want your character to land there. Mm-hmm. And so the the way that a notion of others ends, you know, you can can kind of like it, not a stupid decision for sure, but also like a decision that can go really badly, you know? Yeah. So that's that made it fun. Yeah, the the idea was the um. So without spoiling anything, a character is killed at the end of the book, um, and uh, the plan for um, my dungeon master actually had was that that guy was not going to die for a long time. So I'm I may have single handedly killed off the campaign, <laughs> totally job, derailed Josh. his plans. <laughs> well, it was nice in the way that you left it both kind of a closed ended story. And then also an open-ended story in the sense that there's there's room for things to develop, but it wasn't, for me anyway, it didn't feel like, oh, it's a cliffhanger and now mm-hmm. I got to wait. But it felt like, oh, there's definitely room here for more. So I, I like that flexibility, both as a, as a writer and then as a reader too, to be able to see that um, you've probably got something percolating, which, you know, look at that, you do. <laughs> yeah i i'm not a big fan of cliffhangers mm-hmm. so i wanted to make sure that it was like a full complete story uh with like a denouement and falling action and everything and that someone could put this down and be like i feel satisfied i'm this is a complete 
arc here. Yeah, it um, does feel really complete. Like, I actually never understood that whole, like, potential for standalone, like, or p- standalone, but potential for series. Then I read yours, and I was like, you know what? He actually tied up every single loose end in the book. <laughs> like, I would never do that, but you know, it, it worked. It was very satisfying to have everything kind of wrap up so neatly, but still have, like, like it could go on. They, like, can continue, obviously, but... uh you know, my imagine imagining of like an ending is like everyone dies. Yeah. And, <laughs> Finality, or, capital F. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be some sort of like it cannot go further for like my brain to like let go of that story. <laughs> Normally, for me, if if I come across a cliffhanger, I just like rage quit the series. I'm like, no, I, like that's not cool. The only person uh, who gets a pass on this is Yuval. Because <laughs> this ends in like the most cliffhangery cliffhanger. And I'm like, dang it, I need to know what happens next. <laughs> I am really excited to read read the next next book. I, I miss A11. Like yeah, I, I know. <laughs> he has such good characters. <laughs> does. Uh, and the the first half of his book wasn't that fun for me because I actually didn't like the childhood of I Esther. can't even Yeah, yeah, Esther. Mm-hmm. And uh then it got into like Rebecca six and a 11 and I like fell in love and apparently there's so much more of them in the next book. I, I can't wait to read it. Oh, good. Cause a 11 is my favorite character too. <laughs> <laughs> like how, how is it that like the battle robot, like the, the artificial intelligence is like the most relatable character. He's so funny. I know. <laughs> like I, like, I, I teared up in duckling mode, the chapter. Duckling I don't know mode. if you remember right. duckling mode. Yeah, I, I saw that title. And like, I'm like one of the few people who reads like chapter titles. I love them. And like, I saw that chapter title and I was like, this is either going to be like really funny or like, <laughs> and it ended up being so sad. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I really love A11. And uh, I, I hate that I've got this TBR now that we're like in this indie scene and I've done this like first chapter reading mm-hmm. and now I have like this really structured TBR and I can't just like read the sequel of a book like right after and that's been like really difficult and i actually have cheated i read the sequel to daughter of the beast and i'm oh, probably right. going to continue cheating a little bit on the tbr just cuz like i don't know it feels so wrong to like when there's a complete series right there and you just want to complete it so it's finished i guess it it goes back to like being a very list oriented and yeah. like control freak sort of person mm-hmm. i don't want to like have this story just sitting there yeah, I don't think you have to feel bad at all. Like I'm a total mood reader. <laughs> like even if I'm planning on like reading someone's book, like right now I was, I was reading um, H.C. Newell's The Forbidden Realms, which is the second book yeah. in her series. I'm reading that now too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm almost done. It's really good. Um, but I, for whatever reason, I, like halfway through that book, I just like put it down. And I was, this was back in August. And um, I was like, right, I'm just going to read some other stuff now. And it's like an ongoing joke that me and HC will never finish each other's books, but I'm actually going to finish yeah. hers at this time. <laughs> yeah, I I started it uh, before my little Twitter vacation. I had started it, and I named my my unexpected houseplant after the Vaxeros people. Mm. But um, the uh, then I had I'm part of this fantasy fellowship, and I'm reading a book for that, so I had to stop it for a bit. But I am going to get back to it. And I'm excited. It's a uh, it's a little bit darker than Curse of the Fallen. I think that's what her first book is called. Pretty sure. Yep. 
Um, but it's been so long since I read that first book that I had to sort of like reread a little bit and then and start it. And now she's got like that new book out. Like I'll, I'll never catch up. Like I, I feel like it's so my, hard. My Spiffbo TBR was only 24 books, but then that also comes with every single sequel to like all those books. And also yeah. there's other books I want to read based yeah. off like not the first chapter, like just hearing about the books. It's been an unfriendly realization that our our TBR to be read pile, for those who don't know, um, it just keeps growing and it's difficult. Like I know I'm nowhere near... Um, with the list that you uh, you folks have, but even the stuff in my library from before all of this, it is begging to be looked at. And I just keep encountering more new authors, which is great, and all of their books, and the guests coming on the show, because I want to read their books before they come on the show. And it's just, it's starting to spread, which is lovely, because um, that's kind of what this is all about, is just trying to get the the expansion of the show not to not to get caught up into one genre or two but trying to spread out a little bit more into other things and it's just time I need to be I need to be not working anymore <laughs> yeah. you know so I can just do this and and read and write and and talk to all of you guys yeah. there's too many books not enough time it's the uh, perennial problem absolutely absolutely yeah. Audiobooks help. It really, you like, do, yeah. I, uh, you know, it took me a while to get used to audiobooks, but mm. in college, I kind of like had to because I just, uh, I couldn't absorb textbooks like reading them. Like, I was just like so burnt out mentally. So I started like having like audiobook textbooks. I would, I like, I would make my own audiobooks for the textbooks. I would read them out loud and then like oh, wow. play it back to myself while I was grocery shopping or vacuuming. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got got my brain to like associate it a little better and then I started reading ebooks because I had to move a bunch of times and now I can't read physical books like I've had two physical books on my TBR for like over a year Mm. and like I picked them up and then I realized I have things to do that are not (laughs) sitting down and you know what I'm reading an ebook I can fold laundry or do dishes like or exercise I have like a little thing I put on my neck so I can like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exercise while I read my ebook versus like a physical book you're like really just stuck in a chair just sitting and I think I'm like too ADHD for that now mm. I need to be medicated to sit down with a physical <laughs> book so I'm trying really hard to get to I think it's like the sort of red or something is, is one of the books and then spirit child is my other physical book that I think has been on my TBR for like two years because I lost it like, I don't know if you can see how much of this you can see, but I'm in a supply room. like, <laughs> And this is also where all the books are. But they're on like four different shelves amidst like different various medical supplies. And <laughs> so I, I lost the book and I just found it like two weeks ago. That's funny. So, so are you more of a physical book reader, Josh, or do you like the ebook setup as well? Uh, I, I do a little bit of all three, really. Um, recently, I, I had been reading a lot on my phone, just on the Kindle app. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, I, I, I was just like too addicted to social media. And like, <laughs> I had to like end up deleting Twitter and Instagram and everything from my phone just to make sure I'm 
only doing it when I'm sitting at my computer and being intentional about it. Um, but for this, for some reason, I just like could not focus on books on my phone. So then I was like, okay, I'm just going to buy all these physical books and I'm on a physical book kick. Um, and then for audiobooks, I do like nonfiction to just anytime I'm driving or something like I recently read like a philosophy book. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be reading like a, a Ben Franklin biography next. Uh, and I just try and mix it up just to, so like when I'm sitting down, just like having my coffee in the morning, I have a physical book here and it's nice. like, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. But then when I'm driving I or like exercising, then I'm listening and trying to like learn something. Mm -hmm. I don't need to learn anything. That way. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've done all the research learning you need to now, right? I mean, I, I like to research like, but I guess I don't, I don't like to like read a whole book about something. I just want to go down a rabbit hole at two in the morning for like six hours about raccoons <laughs> and emerge on the other side, a raccoon expert ready to feed everyone like random facts that they don't actually want to know or, you know, on clothing. Like I know so much about medieval clothing dying now, but like actually listening to like a full book on something, especially the way nonfiction writers right like they it's so boring they can like, be very dry yeah yeah, yeah they come across textbook hear about everything yeah that textbook kind of approach it's a shame because there's such a, a dynamic way of writing uh, even nonfiction that's yeah. engaging and i don't think enough enough nonfiction writers do that yeah i've read a couple nonfiction books that i felt like they actually were good writers. So like I think an anthropologist on Mars was like a really fun, fun book. Mm. I mean, you can just tell by the title, it's going to be a fun book, but it's like nonfiction. Right. And uh, so it's, uh, I don't know, nonfiction writers need to step up their game with their storytelling because <laughs> it also often feels like they're just trying to fill the space. Like they have to write a full book. And so instead of being efficient, they're like, rambling mm -hmm. for like half mm -hmm. of it especially like textbooks i think that's a huge problem like you could just you know they have those little boxes with the important facts on the side just give me those like <laughs> yeah. turn this into a novella <laughs> what what's all this other stuff and why do i need this gigantic thing for you know the class so uh, i hated college and <laughs> textbooks <laughs> obviously i haven't gone back thought about getting my graduate degree and decided that it was not for me. So looking at research though, Josh, did you, um, did you have to go down any rabbit holes in terms of this or were you, did you have enough sort of on hand to work with that you didn't really feel you needed to poke into how the hows and whys of any particular line? Yeah. For the, for the second book, I tried to do it a little bit differently where I, I sort of just, set aside like a month before I was outlining or this might've been after I was outlining. I don't remember what order I did things in. Um, but I was like, all right, I need to world build specifically for these two like cultures here. And so it was all centered around like this locus of like, all right, peaker mounds, what's going on there. I need to like build this out because our characters are going there next story. Mm -hmm. And then like, uh, Pasique and like the bright empire, I need to like do more research on like their religion and everything. And so all of my, efforts for like a full month were just building out more information about these specific cultures. And then as I was writing anything that I needed to just come across or I was deficient in, I would just like look it up at the moment and try and avoid going down too much of a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do. 
Yeah. It's so easy to get sucked into it. Um, I mean, for all like the controversy of AI and everything, I, I find chat GPT is pretty helpful for minimizing the rabbit hole uh, research. Cause I could just put in like a question, like what, uh, like you're saying, like, uh, like medieval clothing, I'd be like, what do uh, Renaissance era women wear when they're going out on a hike or something? And it'll just give me like a bunch of options. And then I can verify on Google and I'll be like, all right, this is the one I'm going with, put it in the story and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that being a good use for it to like be a research starting point mm-hmm. as long as you verify it. Because I know I've seen like other people say that it gives you like like bogus answers sometimes. Like it's not always actually right. Yeah, which uh, makes sense. Yeah, for I, I have a sci-fi story though, and for that, um, there's endless research. It's just nonstop. Not only research, but I have to actually do math to like make sure that these story points make sense. And that was painful. I have like lists of equations for like, it's, it's literal rocket science that I was trying to do for this. And I'm not a rocket scientist, so I have no idea if it's like correct or anything because the situation is just absurd and it would never happen in real life. And I was like, I need to know the math behind this to make sure it makes sense because I'm writing a hard sci-fi because Mm -hmm. I'm a a masoch- masochist i guess yeah yeah I, I write sci-fi too it's it's soft sci-fi i i take a very cory approach like my characters mm. are just as stupid as me so nobody's nobody's doing <laughs> that's a good way to do science. it i decided to make my main character a mathematician with yeah, a perfect yeah. memory and i'm like mm, mm. what a what a great idea that was yeah <laughs> ruined <laughs> my life for a year, for a year. <laughs> yeah that was that was rough uh, but on the flip side, I think that's one of the best stories I've ever written. So it <laughs> worked out, I yeah. guess. And you need good beta readers for that too. Cause like, mm-hmm. even if you do like as much research as possible, you're always going to miss something. Cause you're like, so into the story. Yeah. I, I would never, I would never touch math or <laughs> technology. Like as far as like a POV character goes, I have a hard enough time with King Henry and like all he does is like gadgets. And I'm like, what kind of gadgets can he make? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know anything about gadgets. Um, I like, I'm like a caveman. <laughs> I live a very hermit life. So hard sci-fi. Oh man. And like the reviews for some hard sci-fi are also like crazy. Like, like they're so serious about getting things right. I would be terrified, even if I did all the research and managed to get math right, which is impossible for me to do. But even if I did, I'd be terrified of the reviews. I think that's the hard part about hard science is that you you have a core audience that is going to tear things apart because they're expecting the level of information and data that um, they're they're looking for in hard science that if we can't give it to them, then they're going to let us know. Yeah. And I found it's also hard to, it's, it's, there's sort of an audience mismatch sometimes. Cause like a lot of people read hard sci-fi for like all the technical information and because they like how mathematically accurate everything is. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to have that, but then also write like a character driven story on top of it. So the math really isn't the focus, yeah. but I want the math to be right still. <laughs> Um, and so all my, like my writing group, they're mostly, I think they're all non-technical, um, like professions. Um, so when they were reading it, my key focus was like, 
I have tried to distill this down to like be accurate, but still like understandable for like the lay person. Mm -hmm. And so if they were like stumbling over something, that's, that was like a key for me. It's like, okay, this needs to be simplified even more. And then that's a real challenge because as you simplify, you necessarily, you're like compressing the information and with compression, there's information loss. And so now it's not hard sci-fi anymore if you're not careful. But I guess it depends, it depends on the message that you're trying to convey so that mm-hmm. you don't get lost in the details of the the technicalities that you're trying to compress and still hold uh, as something valid as opposed to what's the essence that's going to pass that along to the reader and so that they can make sense of the story yeah um, so I, I think ultimately if you keep that in focus which sounds like you're doing then you give everyone that flavor that they're looking for without getting immersed in technicality that's too hard to process. Yeah, <laughs> certainly for readers like me. Um, well, I know it, when I read hard sci-fi, I just skip over the parts I don't understand. I yeah, just, I've heard that I, a lot. <laughs> I just like I look at the page and I'm like, oh, that's that's not for me, and I I continue on until I get back to the character stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, keep flipping the pages and make sure it's still part of the same book. <laughs> Is yeah. this something else that got bound into this into this book or not? Yeah, I think soft sci-fi fans are probably a lot easier to to satisfy. You know, most of us have like very low expectations for <laughs> for technology, and you know, don't don't understand it anyway. So it's definitely the hard sci-fi people. You want to get the math right. Yeah. My my sci-fi is more like fantasy in space. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to actually say, I, I think I've been seeing a lot more um, conversation around the blending of fantasy elements within sci-fi that just make it, uh, I think, a richer story that, yeah. in essence, it kind of necessitates having a little bit of fantasy in there to a degree. Um, I forget who the famous quote is from. I, I, I don't think it's Tolkien. It might be Tolkien. Something somebody said the only difference between sci-fi and fantasy is trees. Um and and so like I do think that it it's a really fine line at some point some points. Like you look at Star Wars, it's it's like fantasy in space. Like oh, yeah. you know, like they they're literally using like mind telekinesis powers based on like Metachlorians. Like it it it's not it's not sci-fi. And the like midichlorians was like an attempt to make it more sci-fi because it was totally just fantasy before that. Like there was no explanation for the force. It just was. Yeah. yeah and it was, just... it was kind of better when it was like that. <laughs> uh, like the, the whole, the whole thing and the glowy light swords, you know, that's not. And uh, so it's, there's definitely a, a fine line and hard sci-fi, you know, is just basically like a subgenre of sci-fi it's still fantasy you know it's not like you're actually inventing new technologies to get us through space just making technology that makes sense (laughs) and you know like could maybe possibly work sort of and uh yeah there's a couple other uh books in spfbo one was in my batch angel from the rust i think jason link wrote it um and it was sci-fi like our judge becky said that like she wasn't sure if it was like fantasy enough but it was sci-fi but like there were like ogres and 
like dragons and you know it was sci-fi on earth and like the witches had machine guns and <laughs> you know it was it was definitely the most genre blended book like in in the competition but it did feel like fantasy because there were ogres and dragons and witches you know just because the witches had machine guns doesn't you know there was a space station but it, it still felt like fantasy you know there were trees That's and fun. i think that was the big difference yeah. A, lot of trees. It, a lot of times it really is just it's so subjective first of all like you can ask yeah. two people and it's going to be sci-fi or fantasy like even one of the finalists um the fall is all there is is apparently super sci-fi heavy um but it, it like you said it really just it's it's like a coat of paint and almost like the mechanics in the background could be completely sci-fi but then you write it as a fantasy story um like that's sort of what a notion of others is like i have <laughs> i have uh like charts that link like the different arch magic effects and the benefactor effects and it's all very much sort of like electromagnetism and like there's there's formulas that, <laughs> that dictate this stuff and none of that's important at all for the for the story because it's just a fantasy story and i don't need to give you <laughs> that info um but the the story I was talking about in the very beginning, where I, I said I wasn't good enough to write it at this point, um, the idea is actually that it's a sci-fi setting, but a fantasy story. And there's going to be two POVs where one is as a fantasy story and the other is he's like knows all the sci-fi working. So it's like it's a real genre bender, I guess. That's that neat. Point. I still don't know if I'm competent enough to write that. I feel like a little more confident now. <laughs> But hopefully uh, I get to that someday. Just do a couple of test drafts and see how it goes. A couple yeah. of test drafts, just whip yeah. them off. <laughs> yeah. Six years later, it's done. <laughs> but yeah, it is fun to have all that background, like how the magic and everything works, even if it's not in the story. Like since we were both writing and like, I guess, I think Ocean, An Ocean of Others is like medievalish times. Like both of our books were in medieval. There's only so much you can say, even mm -hmm. if you have like a really fleshed out magic system mine also is like sci-fi origins but soft sci-fi the meteorites are, are where like my fantasy stuff comes from like with aliens um but yes, there is aliens there there is aliens they just I, never I, I knew it really in the book <laughs> um and i tied it into my soft sci-fi series that i'm like writing on the side when i have time but uh but you have all that, you know, it's like an iceberg. You've got like the little bit that the readers get. But since you're in a medieval setting and they're not all scientists, you know, you only get to show so much of that magic system. Mm -hmm. And you it's still fun to have all that research, though. And I think some people like it, like some people like to know how it works. So you should you should post that. I'm not going to read it because the math, but the hard sci-fi people might like it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I've been posting it as a serial on my website. So there's like, oh, I didn't even eight. know you had a website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, it's so much harder to market sci-fi than fantasy. I think the fantasy market is much bigger. Um, but yeah, I I have 18 chapters published, I think, out wow. of 26, and I'm working on the revisions right now to just put it all out. Just stop making it a serial and just put a book out because that's what people want. <laughs> It's yeah. so hard to get people to write or read serials. I, I know you, you've got one going too, right? Yeah. Nobody nobody wants to read my redneck fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's because it's a serial or because it's redneck humor. 
fantasy. Like it's just such a weird. I would say it's more movie. the serial fact. I think people just want complete stories, and it's hard yeah. to get people to get on board unless you're like a big author already with a name. Yeah, and Kindle Vela, like nobody even knows what it is or how it works. Like anytime <laughs> yeah. I try to talk about it, and when I look at the other stories on there, it's like romance There's so much romance like mm-hmm. all the little thumbnail cover photos are like a woman's leg and stockings <laughs> and <laughs> like okay my my book doesn't really fit here with you know tammy lynn and her shotgun <laughs> serials are are definitely probably a, a hard sell but yours is on your website for free or um, is it do you- it's free if you sign up for the mailing list that's it which is free so yeah <laughs> uh, how do you even I make that function on your website like do you have like a website person or are you no, i mean I'm you're doing guy. your own engineering stuff so okay yeah yeah so my day job is as a software engineer so i okay I, i'm not a web developer though so that's been a learning experience um after i turned in my set, uh, draft of book two i was like I'm, i need to just take a break not do any writing or anything right now so I just turned all my efforts to my website and like revamping that. And mm. I added a homepage and everything. And it took way too long because I don't know how to write web code. <laughs> but um, it, the the content management system is called Ghost. Um, that's like what's running on the background. That's like Wix or Substack or it's like the hosting platform. And they have all these controls for like what tiers of membership can see what uh what oh, okay. posts and so it's like, like that patreon but private somehow yeah and you i do actually have like a five dollar a month tier that i don't think anybody will sign up for because <laughs> it's not really worth it at this point but if anybody does want to do that i would really appreciate it um, i'm trying to like make make that have like value because like as a patreon um model like the subscription model like what do you actually offer as a writer to do that like you can offer like early drafts of things but like who really wants to read like your unedited yeah, stuff yeah i know or like you could do uh like i i don't even know i have like no ideas so my idea is like free shipping in my store you get a free copy of every book that i put out paperback signed like but that you're like paying multiple times the amount that you'd pay if you bought it on Amazon for that. So it just doesn't seem worth it to me. It's really hard. I know some people do like backstories and short stories for Mm -hmm. like the book, but like for me, I feel like, is it really worth it? Do I really want people paying for that? Or would I rather just put that in the newsletter for free and like, you know, allow people like, cause that's, also like free advertising for me if they like that short story maybe they'll like the book and actually read it yeah so i don't know it just it doesn't seem i don't know what writers are supposed to do with that i guess if you're like a really fast writer it would be easy to like have like mm-hmm. paid short stories and free ones but like i'm not no I take me neither <laughs> i'm super slow <laughs> But I will have to check out your website. I uh, luckily have like an in-home web designer who takes care of that stuff for me every once in a while when he feels like it. Um. <laughs> no, your website's really nice. I actually took inspiration from yours when uh, when I was designing a couple couple new pages for mine. Uh, so like yeah. you have all of your like 
um, like world building and stuff on there and a lot of like setting and character information. And I was like, I want pages like this for an ocean of others. <laughs> so I, I just recently put one out for like meet the characters and it's got like new artwork and brand That's new cool. writing and everything on it. I'd love to see, the only artwork I've seen is your cover, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I would not have known what to put on a website. Um, when, <laughs> when my boss asked me like what kind of information I wanted on it, I was just like, I don't know that I have a book and <laughs> yeah. It ended up being a, a hostile interrogation trying to get information <laughs> out of me. And uh, he eventually came up and then we we visited other authors' websites. And it was it was really strange. Even like famous authors had like these websites that just didn't have anything interesting on mm. them. Yeah. And literally it, it, I feel like every author was just like me. They were just like, I have a book. Yeah, yeah that's most I have them. another book. And, you know, that's all it was. It was their books. And then like some of them had like personal blogs, but like, I'm not, it's, again, yeah. I take too long. to. It's like, a lot of content to keep up. And I, I think the challenge too, with websites is keeping them fresh because mm -hmm. if it's something is sitting around for a while, it's very stagnant. People are just not going to come back. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's the thing you want to just have people always driving back to your website to look for new new material uh, yeah a lot but we're of... too slow we don't have new material no right <laughs> yeah. i mean it's a lot you're busy working on what you're working on yeah a lot of author websites look like they haven't been updated since like 2001 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's pretty rough yeah. Uh, that's why I set out with the goal, the extremely lofty goal of having the best indie author website. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm there quite yet, but I have a, a to-do list that if I complete all of it, I think it will be pretty, pretty great. Nice. Nice. Nice uh, to have just, a plan. Yeah. Um, and just for anybody who's listening, it's joshse.com. That's my website. And yours okay. is lionspen.com, right? It is. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. My, We'll put that in the uh, comments. The show notes. The show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And I do love my website. He made it look really cool too. Like I was just thinking it would be like black yeah. with a link. Oh, that's like what mine <laughs> looks like. <laughs> Back to 2001 now. Yeah. I, I really lucked out having like a website manager who like I also work for and nice. can bribe with food. So <laughs> Probably can be said for most website managers that you can bribe them with food. <laughs> yeah, it's more like holding food hostage because I make them food anyway. Like uh, I, I live at work, so <laughs> no use cooking just just for one. But uh, yeah, I'll have to look at your website and and see what you did because that does sound cool and like fancy. It sounds fancy having this serial thing that's like locked away, like. I've been yeah. thinking about locking away like book two spoilers somewhere, but I have to like try to explain what I'm imagining to my boss. And <laughs> I I don't know anything about computers. Yeah. And a lot of it's going to come down to like your, your CMS, your content management system. I think yours looks like it's hosted on Wix maybe. So I, I would think that they have like I think membership and stuff like that. We have Elementor. Elementor. Substack? No, Substack is the the other thing that I use. Elementor. Yeah, that's your blog. I have seen your Substack. Yeah, Substack is easier for me with like blog stuff because you can 
just like post there and and forget about it it's not it doesn't mm -hmm. feel as like like the website I try to keep the content as something that people would actually be looking for if they were going to my website versus like my opinion on the latest social media <laughs> scandal so <laughs> Um, I wanted to just really quickly touch on um, some of your sort of favorite reads. Um, I know we talked already about a number of authors and a number of books, so I, I didn't want to sort of revisit too much of that. But are you, in terms of the stuff that you like to um, to read, are you stuck within a particular set of genre or are you feeling like you're um, reading interests have taken you sort of further afield? Um, I think I've, I've tried to stray outside of like sci-fi and fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, and like my wife is big into like classics and literature and everything. And I, something's just broken in my brain. I'll read like a classic that everybody loves. And I'm just like, this is so boring. <laughs> like, Where's the, where's the magic system and the themes and, and it's totally just a me problem, but uh, I, I tend to just kind of revolve around sci-fi and fantasy. And um, I, I don't think I have any preference between the two of those, though. Um, most of my reading these days is just driven by like what I see other indie authors doing and that I find interesting. And so I think just necessarily because indie authors are doing so many like weird and out there things, I, I do tend to like read slightly more broadly than I used to before it was very much like the like the very popular series like Game of Thrones Wheel of Time uh like the Expanse and stuff like that all the things that really essentially inform your own writing and and I think enrich our creativity I think too mm -hmm. and you're like that way too right Al you you like to kind of stick within the fantasy sci-fi realm yeah, I am not a very broad reader at all. I have like my like pet niches that mm -hmm. I like and I'll read all the popular like fantasy and sci-fi. But then if it's not like by one of my favorite authors, and even sometimes if it is, I don't I don't venture outside of like my little niche. Mm -hmm. And I'm super particular about my characters yeah. and stuff too. Sometimes I'll just pick up a book and I'll immediately know like this is is not going to work between me and them <laughs> and I can't spend 200 pages with you sorry and, and I put it down I DNF 90% of the books I pick up I'm terrible about it but uh with indie books it is I guess it has broadened my horizons in a way with reading just because there is more variety like versus when you're just looking at the popular stuff yeah it's all very high quality and very good versus, but it's not very different, you know, like sometimes it feels like you're reading the same book over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I'll binge read authors. Like I binge read like Abercrombie until like all Abercrombie seemed the same. And like, he does kind of recycle plots <laughs> and, you know, it, it, and it just, ends up feeling like that versus reading indie you don't often feel like books have anything in common with each other it's a lot harder to like comp an indie book to another like an ocean of others is not like any other book that i've read mm -hmm. it's a little bit like some video games i've played but <laughs> like, <laughs> like i would compare it to dragon sage um 
whichever one you're with the the gnome the gnomes you went went down into the into the gnome place underground wherever that was <laughs> i haven't um, played any dragon's age unfortunately <laughs> really good games and and there's one where you're like underground but uh the regardless a lot of indie books are doing like very different things and like daughter of the beast like i never read a book that was that gritty and dark but also just almost gleefully happy the whole time and <laughs> you know the the main character i like was like practically feral and that you know it was just such a different thing and like kind of like with an ocean of others, they're both so fast paced compared to other alternate world fantasy that you read from like popular authors. And it just seemed like there's like a formula of how to, you know, how these big writers write like Abercrombie and Sanderson. And, you know, they each have like their own twist on that formula, but it's never that fast paced. It's always like a solid medium paced book, like from start to finish. And, has like you know these specific elements and the plot you know works and nothing is really unexpected it's very predictable mm -hmm. so i do like that about indie it has broadened my reading mm -hmm. in that way yeah that I still unexpectedness too is is exciting to read mm -hmm. yeah. and i think i don't know i'm too adhd for like other kinds of fiction like even sci-fi fantasy that isn't like alternate world with like a magic system yeah like i i like all the different elements that come together in like epic alternate world fantasy and sci-fi where you have to like learn a whole nother world i mm -hmm. like learning a whole nother world versus like regular fiction feels like i'm listening to my friend talk about their life for like 10 hours straight right. and <laughs> I I don't do that with my actual friends. I I don't let them talk that long. So, <laughs> what? Um, I mean, you had a great comment about um, Josh's characters and and uh, backstory. Oh yeah, so the backstories of the characters, you have like really efficient like one line backstories for each of them in the beginning, and then like you learn a little bit more as you go through the book. But do you have like, did you? like craft backstories or are they the backstories that your dnd friends came up with and you just like flesh them out a little bit um it's a, a bit of a mix so like you you mentioned before it was like what came first the characters or the setting and mm -hmm. um again that, that's like a bit of a mix like sometimes the the backstory is like exactly what one of my friends wrote not everybody in the party wrote like a super fleshed out backstory though. So I had to fill in a lot of the gaps um, like in the, it, and there's always like this sort of like interplay between character and setting and um, the, like, for example, in the original campaign, Lorelei was a gnome and yeah. um, <laughs> there's no gnomes in the book. So uh, I, I was like, okay, they're from Pasik. So I have to start building up like what Pasik looks like and what that culture is. And then that started to inform the backstory. But I also wanted to like make sure to capture the the essence of the character as played by my friend. Um, and so I, th I think probably like Enoch's backstory is like fully fleshed out and written. Grimm's is pretty fleshed out, probably less than Enoch's for some reason, even though he's the main character. <laughs> um, 
Lorelei and Garrett are pretty fleshed out at this point. Centix, I still have to like fully decide on him because Centix is weird. He's he's got a strange backstory. I have like a, a one line for him and like no yeah, that fits. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, Centix, he's a scar dwarf in the book, which they're from like a completely different continent, and like no one's ever seen them before. The the, uh, the the story begins, and suddenly here are two of them in the agency. Um, and I, we were just we were talking about websites, and one of the first things I uh, wanted to add was like a meet the characters. And so I had to sort of like write out the backstories and like try and introduce the characters mm-hmm. in more than just a sentence in a way that isn't like spoilery for someone who hasn't read the book yet. And that was really difficult. Just trying yes. to narrow it all down. Yeah. Trying to get the essence of a character in in such a small space. It's a lot harder than you'd think. Like I had written like, you know, two to ten page backstories of all my characters. Oh wow. And then trying to <laughs> my boss wanted me to do these like little tiny snippet backstories. And I was like, <laughs> I don't I have no idea. And so yeah. like <laughs> just put the whole thing up. <laughs> Uh, he he wanted it for the inside of my like dust jacket cover mm-hmm. on the hard covers, uh, okay. and like it was it was so hard to like try to think of like because what do you say when you only have one sentence? It's kind of like writing the blurb. Like, yeah. how do you describe yeah. your book in like such a small space, and how do you describe the characters with like like a syntax? I feel like would be the only one that would suit <laughs> like a one sentence description. <laughs> Oh, he is a scar dwarf. That is it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, I was curious oh. about the second scar dwarf. Uh, there, I don't even know if you ever like say his name or if he just like. Yeah, his name's his... Cavern. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is, like, uh, I, I don't even think I don't think it's said until late. like chapter twenty-two or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty late. Centix is definitely like the main scar dwarf of of the story. Yeah, but uh, if they're like if like that story with like his backstory was in it was what actually one of the few things that I think was actually one of the few backstories that was in the book um, with like the sort of political issues going on with the dwarves and if that was mm. ever going to be in the books. That's why I was kind of hoping for his POV in the next one because I found that that backstory to be like kind of more memorable and cooler than the other ones you're right grim yeah. doesn't have like any his backstory is given in the beginning and it never gets touched on again like that's that's <laughs> all you get he's an orphan with no ties he does nothing like <laughs> yeah he's he's almost he, he's sort of meant to be like a almost like a faceless character in a way like a a like a reader in self insert almost mm-hmm. in like that he could be. But of course I wanted to put a little bit more meat on it than that. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's very much like a typical like street rat from Lewakin. Like there's nothing super special about him. Yeah, uh, it works. And I, I really liked that for this story. Like mm-hmm. just to have this character who's kind of almost like an observer like you, like while you're reading and getting to know everyone else, like through him, it it was a very like relaxing sort of way to <laughs> to experience the chaos around yeah. it, but, it's uh, very similar to as you said sort of inserting the reader into the character form it's very role playing mm-hmm. in that regard it's almost like you're putting on grim's 
mask and seeing his world through his eyes, which is great. Yeah. And that's why yeah, I RPG. wanted to write it in first person. Because mm-hmm. it was like, I want this to be like, you feel like you are grim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually surprised at how many first person books I picked up in in the SBFBO first chapters. Because usually I hate, I hate first person. <laughs> but like, I think you and Ed Greaves like did first person in such a way that it didn't feel like a diary. You know, it didn't feel mm-hmm. like, you know, it felt more like things were happening in real time and, uh-huh. and being observed as opposed to just like somebody writing down their random thoughts. Um, <laughs> so I, I do think that there's, for me, at least as a reader, there's like a right way and a wrong way for like first person to be written. And, uh, and I didn't even notice, you know, as I was reading, like it didn't, it didn't feel like first person that I've read elsewhere. Uh-huh. So that was that was really nice, and we both had characters named Grim, like two of our main characters. <laughs> your yep. main character, my like second to main character. So that was fun when I was reading your first chapter. Like at first, I was like, "They're probably going to be really similar, just because we probably named them Grim for the same reason." <laughs> the Grim. <laughs> they are pretty similar, aren't they? In terms of yeah. just like their personality, I guess. Definitely not what happens and what they do. But... No, no, for sure <laughs> and, not. Yeah, and, and uh, it. Uh at sort of at the risk of, uh, well, not a spoiler, but uh, I certainly wanted the listeners to get a a sense of the story, but you uh, you had thrown me a little bit of a curve as far as reading something for us today. What uh, what did you have in mind? Oh, so yeah, instead of reading from an ocean of others, what we've been talking about this whole time, right. I'm going to do a reading from the uh, sci-fi horror serial that I was talking about a little bit. Uh, that's on my website. It's called Grave of the Waiting. And to set the scene a little bit, it's about a mathematician named Ada who has a perfect memory, like an eidetic memory, but like taken to the extreme. Um, and also a lot of childhood trauma that she constantly relives and has to deal with in her own way since she's reliving it with perfect clarity. Um, and well, what happens? Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you what inspired it just as a sort of a brief sense of how, how this came to be. Um, that's, that's a tough one. Cause I think this one had had so many different inspirations that I pulled mm. together that I, I'm not sure what is like the clear through line. Mm. Um, I knew I wanted to write a character um, who was dealing with like her trauma and reliving that uh, just in, like I said, in perfect clarity. Um, and I think that came from a book on psychology I was reading where um, people who have um, these traumatic experiences, the way that a lot of times they begin to heal is by like reframing the story in their mind. And so I wanted to make that really hard for Ada to reframe the story since she she can vividly recall it. Um, but then there's also, um, it's the, the pitch for the story I give is that it's like, the matrix meets alien um, in that there's like VR elements. um, But then the characters are traveling to a rogue planet, which showed up in the solar system one day. And uh, yeah, they're going there and just sort of like discovering what's going on in that place. And so that's where the the alien element comes in. Uh, Yeah. The psychological reframing thing is something that like we learned about in school. And I use that in like my second book too. 
Maybe okay. I can just use your books as comps from now on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now that I know that it's 400 pages and it's it's almost <laughs> as chalky as mine by like three pages. Even like An Ocean thing. of Others and Starlight Jewel, like memory is a big a big theme in both of them. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they could definitely be comps. That's like that. <laughs> you, you've got like soft amnesia, like with the, the haze, with the riots. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I can I can comp our books. They're they're totally similar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been singing your books praises on Twitter since I finished it. So. <laughs> oh, I I've been I've been trying been to away. say yeah, like I I've seen like two hundred notifications. <laughs> every time I every How time I log, log on, I get like a little bit more anxiety because even though it's been really relaxing being away from tr- Twitter. Like I've wanted to check on my scheduled posts and they're never posting. So I just copy paste them and, and post them <laughs> at random times now. Cause I, I still want everyone to see the raccoons because I've worked so hard to get all those raccoon videos. Yeah. I love <laughs> the raccoon videos. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. So oh, give, yeah. Us so, give us what you got. All right. So I'm going to be reading, I'm going to skip the prologue um, because I think it, it's from her childhood. So we're just going to jump into the present day. And, and Elle hates them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So it's called uh, Chapter One Traveler. 2106 AD, present day, three years after the arrival of Rogue Planet G9615. Ada stared out the window of her uncle's mountainside cottage over Lake Geneva, searching for the rising sun. An overlay in the corner of her vision indicated it was 7.30 in the morning. She had hoped to catch a glimpse of light but the world was pitch black. Satellite data predicted that shortly after dawn, a break in the clouds would illuminate the city of Geneva several kilometers to the south. For a few hours, their solar panels would collect that precious sunlight, storing it to later ration it out for food production, emergency response, water filtration, and other vital services. Each burst of life was like the post-mortem spasm of an animal's limbs, an illusion of rejuvenation to fool those who didn't know better. But Ada knew better. She looked up at the featureless sky, too dark even to make out the texture of the impenetrable clouds. The predictions were wrong. There'd be no relief from energy austerity this day. Typical. She should have known better than to hope. That's all I got for you. (laughs) Oh, that does sound really fun. I feel like this is definitely a a sci-fi serial. I can... I can get into. Yeah, that does sound really character driven, and yeah, I I think it's way more character driven than a notion of others. Um, partly because the characters of a notion of others were kind of crafted after the plot was already complete, so it's very plot driven. Um, the sequel is is much more character driven. For uh, it's called "To Burn All Belief," um, the second dance of the sibling sons. Um, but yeah, I, I always knew I wanted to write more character-driven stories. I just think they're more interesting and you can really dive into the themes of everything. And so Ada's all about like humanity is going extinct and she's just, she's got no hope. She's not optimistic at all. And she sort of feels like we kind of deserve it <laughs> um, because we've did it to ourselves. Small um, existential crisis in the beginning yeah. of the book. <laughs> yeah. series. And so like her, her journey is all about sort of like overcoming uh, her cynicism and like rediscovering optimism and uh, learning that like humankind is worth saving and 
yeah, I think it's it's a very poignant story, but it's uh it's it's much darker than an ocean of others even because <laughs> it's a yeah. horror book. So nice. And that that's uh, available on your website. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, not in, in completion yet. I'm still working on getting the the second draft done and then I'll post it all on the website. And then I'm going to do like a full revision for the third draft and probably fourth and maybe fifth. Um, and then I'll put it out as like a full published book on Amazon and all the usual places. Fabulous. Fabulous stuff to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. I did pull up your website and the character art is beautiful. And I don't know why I haven't seen this on, on Twitter yet. If you just keeping things I, from me or if Twitter no, is keeping things from me. I just posted me. it yesterday. So oh, it's, okay. it's brand new. But yeah, that character art was by um, a, oh, where, where is she from? from? Uh, oh, hold on. I, I don't want to mess up her nationality. <laughs> so let me just look it up real quick. Is it Barcelona? Am I, am I right about that? <laughs> I don't know. My internet takes forever. Oh no, she's just from Spain. Okay, just. so yeah, she's um, she's uh, a Spanish artist named Joan Belda, and I saw she had a similar piece for just a fantasy group that she mm-hmm. had uh, put on Art Station, and um, she did the the chapter headers for Zach Argyle's Threadlight series, um, the the what's it called, the uh, leather bound omnibus kickstarter and so i was like oh wow she's she's really talented so i i commissioned her right away to do i think i stole one of zach argyle's artists as well (laughs) like 20 21 i think is this he doesn't have his name on on twitter but he did uh pretty sure it was for zach argyle somebody somebody else's fantasy book with monsters i saw zach talking on um the beard of darkness channel uh, that both of us have made an appearance on me and L. Um, oh. Sorry, my dog just <laughs> stole some trash out of my trash can. Um, and uh, he was talking about how how pleased it makes him that he sees that he's like sort of helping other artists get discovered. And right. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, uh, well, artists don't seem to be very good at advertising themselves. Like. <laughs> Well, neither am I, so I can't I can't blame them too much. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, it's really hard to advertise yourself, but I've I've been trying to help and like kind of tell them what authors want because there's been so many times where I've wanted an artist, especially when I first got on Twitter. I was like, mm-hmm. hey, I could use an artist. Is there anyone out there that anyone recommends? And you get like nothing, and no one says anything, and it's really confusing. Like trying to find them, and then you go. And there's like the commercial use thing and they all say like no commercial use and like half of them mean it and half of them don't like <laughs> so you have to have these like long drawn out conversations with them which just uh, it's tough yeah it's tough out there <laughs> well i wanted to uh, i wanted to thank you both um for the opportunity to sit down with you again it's been great to have you on the show again l i appreciate your co-hosting and and certainly uh, directing me to Josh. It's been lovely to meet you. And um, certainly hoping that we can um, we can reconvene in one form or another and uh, and do this again. So it's been it's been good fun. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I I love being on the show and I love getting to pick an author. That's exciting <laughs> for me. Like so, yeah. Be be ready next time you ask me. I will immediately pick someone. That's great. Um, <laughs> I, I was excited to pick Josh and. 
have somebody else, you know, forced to read a book, you know, <laughs> how often do you get that opportunity? Yeah. yeah. No, thank you so much for asking. This has been so much fun. And it's, yeah. uh, it's been great to, uh, to reconnect um, as well, just because I know everyone's got stuff happening life-wise and, and writing-wise. So it's, it's really nice to make a, a new connection, a new friend and, and uh, build on that going forward. So I'm excited to have you back on the show uh, at some point as well, Josh, and, and get you as co-host. So yeah, I've already got some authors in mind. Oh, there we go. Good, good, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely um, touch base with one another uh, offline and, and go from there. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you again. So uh, happy holidays to you both. I know we're we're running into that time frame. So uh, all the best and have a wonderful 2024. Same yeah, to you. you too. Arthur. Merry Christmas. Well, here we are then at the end of our show once again. I'd like to thank my guest co-host, E.L. Lyons, and our guest today, Joshua Scott Edwards. It's been a pleasure to be in your company and have the opportunity to talk about books and writing and life in general. These chats always take us to fascinating places, and I really look forward to more of them with you in the not too distant future. For our listeners, of course, please remember to look for Elle's and Joshua's uh, published works. You can find them on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and of course at many other fine retailers both online and somewhere near you. Uh, get yourself a copy of something from each of their marvelous book selections as soon as possible and keep your eyes open for what's coming next from each of them. I know I will certainly be. Music for today's episode provided by Pixabay with guest artists Less FM and their track Upbeat Inspiring Cinematic, Penguin Music featuring Oleksandr Stepanov and their track Contemporary Epic Trailer, and Less FM featuring Oleksii Kaplunski and their track The Acts Cinematic Time Pad. Our theme, Mr. Mischief, is by All Good Folks, provided by Upbeats. And once again, thanks to you, our listener, for spending some of your valuable time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode and the podcast in general, please make a point of sharing it with your friends. Be sure to click the follow button so you don't miss an episode, and we'll see you back here at the Speakeasy again very soon. Remember, we've always got a table set here just for you. Cheers. <laughs>